0: Well, great to see you today. Anybody have any stress over the Thanksgiving meal? Nope. Yeah. My wife is the only one in the room. Well, I must say I had a little stress too because I volunteered to smoke the 20-pound turkey on the grill. And how many know that can mean trouble if you make a mistake? All eyes were on me. My wife had such confidence in me that she brought a backup ham just in case the turkey didn't work out. But I'm here to tell you, gobble, gobble, it turned out... It turned out pretty good. What we have been doing is, turn your Bibles to Titus, the book of Titus uh, chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, we've been doing a series called Grow Up. It is a call to spiritual maturity. As I was reminded today, actually by my wife before service, my wife gave me a picture uh, my daughter-in-law is really good about matching pictures of, 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 of children. For example, my son, when he was two, we've got his photo, and my grandson now is two. And we looked at them side by side, and we thought, well, they could be twins. Well, how many know my son that was two when I came here 29 years ago, he's now 30-some years old, 31 years old, and uh, uh, he grew up. I watched him as he grew through elementary, I closed my eyes and remember him kicking the soccer ball down the field over in Spring Lake Park, I remember the day of his graduation from first high school and college, I remember his marriage and now he has two children. It's like, we don't like this, we like the joy of our kids being young, but yet it is is normal for people to grow up and mature, well in the same way God wants us to grow up spiritually. And this is, what the series, has been about, uh, when I talk about a mature Christian, the definition I'm using is someone who loves Jesus more than they love any person or anything in life. It's built on the great commandment. When Jesus said, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So a mature Christian endeavors to love Christ uh, with all their heart. The second thing a mature Christian does is uh, endeavors to become the person Jesus wants us to be. This is our values. It's our character. It's the way we behave. And lastly, a mature Christian is someone who's committed to do what Jesus wants them to do. It is the product of our life. It is what we produce in life on this earth. It is what we become in terms of God's creation of us. Now in this series, uh, Growing or Grow Up, we talked about growing in our character. This is our inner world. Last time we talked about growing closer to God in our personal relationship. And today we talk about growing in good works. I don't know if I've ever preached about this. I'm kind of excited about it. But I I want to read a scripture, Titus chapter 3. And it is just, if I can say, pregnant with with the description of what Christ has done for us in salvation. Uh, Titus 3, 5, Jesus saved us. To be saved means to be saved from something. So we are saved as a believing Christian. We are saved from the consequences of our sin. We are saved from ourselves and the destructive patterns in life. Uh, Not because of works. Not because of works done in righteousness or good works. In other words, you can't do enough good things to go to heaven. If you were to ask someone uh, today uh, that you don't know and say, Hey, are you going to go to heaven when you die? Most people will say yes, unless they are an atheist or agnostic. Uh, Most will say yes. If you ask them why, you know what most people will say? Because I lived a, a good life. Well, guess what? You can't be good enough. You can't do enough good things to earn your way into heaven. Otherwise, Christ died in vain on the cross. Notice what it said. According to His mercy... God's compassion and kindness to us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is talking about to be regenerated is to be born again. It is the spiritual change on the inside that happens because of the grace of God whom he poured out on us richly, our salvation through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, being justified, that word means declared righteous. This is how people that do wrong things can be made right. God declares us righteous because of our faith in Christ uh, that we might be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, here's where our focus is today. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things and say this with me, so that those who believed in God may be careful to devote themselves, say it with me, to good works. Be careful to devote yourself to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. In other words, it will be beneficial in our life if we are devoted to doing good. How many know devotion is the key to success in anything? If you're going to be a successful gardener, you've got to be devoted to pulling weeds. If you're going to be a, a, a successful in your marriage, you've got to be devoted to your spouse. If you're going to get your degree, you've got to be devoted to the process of education. Well, this is what we're talking about today being devoted to good works. And we're going to ask the question what in the world are good works, number one? But why should we be devoted to them? What is the benefit? of me being committed to what the Bible calls good works. Well this is what we're talking about today. The title is Growing in Good Works and I want to begin with a little video about a modern-day Good Samaritan to show us an inkling to answer the question what are good works? I'm going to give you a lot of biblical examples as we paint the portrait but I want you to take a picture of a modern-day Good Samaritan. I say, thank God for Grandma. Yeah. You know, to understand a good work, you have to see a contrast. How I many you know what Grandma did when she took time, when other people took selfies, other people turned their back, other people hid their eyes. Maybe a bad work as opposed to a good work. But by good works, it's a, it, a, the definition we're going to use, I want you to think of a triangle. The most basic sense at the bottom of that triangle is helping people. It's based on the second great commandment, which Jesus told us was to love our neighbor as ourself. Another part of that triangle of good works is advancing God's kingdom. It could be something as simple as as, uh, putting money in a globe to buy Bibles for people you'll never meet. Uh, Right now someone's made a significant medical donation and uh, uh, they want to help somebody. They could have sold it and made money from it. They are updating their clinic, but rather than just making the money, they wanted to give it to missions now we're looking for a way to try to ship it to, uh, ship it to, uh, to Haiti. Uh, that's a good work. It's advancing God's kingdom. And thirdly, obeying God's command. We'll see that good works are not just things I do to help people, but there's an aspect of this, of living right before God and making good moral choices. These good works, helping people, advancing God's kingdom, obeying God's commands, are the practical proof that we're a follower of Jesus Christ. And this first point, let me me paint kind of a picture throughout the Scripture of good works. Acts chapter 9, we see a woman, her name is Dorcas. Scripture says she was full of good good works and acts of charity. The New International Version says she was always doing good and helping the poor. Then we see verse 37, she becomes sick, she dies. And the fruit of her ministry, verse 39, widows stood all around crying. And showing Paul the robes and clothing that Dorcas, or Peter rather, the clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. You know, oftentimes we think of a good work, uh, you have to be, you know, a preacher. You have to go on the missions trip. You have to, you know, you have to have a Bible school degree. But here's a woman that all she knew how to do was sew. And she just as easily could have sewn the clothes and put them on the eBay of her day. How I many understand what I'm talking about? She could have just as easily set up her own PayPal account and made money. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. Certainly, that's how you make money. That's business. That's being an entrepreneur. But in this particular case, what she did is she caught the attention in the eye of those that were poor and needy. And she gave them with what she had, which simply means every one of us in this room can do something good to help people. Dorothy, a grandmother, raising a, uh, a grandson that uh, has uh, issues that uh, cause him not to be able to function as a normal human being, 12, 13 years old. I watch people all the time. They help her so she can get a little break, get a little space to be able to help the boy instead of institutionalizing him. Mean, no, these are good works. These are good works that take just a little time, just a little bit of being uncomfortable. But Dorcas was like this. Uh, James one twenty seven tells us this about pure and genuine religion. Now before you look at the scripture, I want you to think just a moment. The Bible defines for us what it means to be a genuinely religious person, what is pure, what is right. And here's what it says. It says, uh, caring for orphans and widows. And that's not an exclusive category, but that's an example of people that are in need. Pure and genuine religion, caring for orphans and widows. You remember that's the, kind of the helping people. But look at the other side of the triangle. And refusing to let the world corrupt you. Pure and religious people refuse to let the world corrupt them. Whether it's through lying or stealing or whatever greed, whatever case it may be, when we make choices, moral choices, to walk a straight line with God, to do what's right rather than what's wrong, that's a good work that God acknowledges in our life as well. Uh, Perhaps the greatest example I could give of doing good works is in my wife, Linnell. Linnell models good works with her life. I have lived with her 30-something years, and uh, she's my first wife, by the way. Uh, I have lived with her 30-something years, and this has just been a lifestyle from her. Uh, You know, we have what's called a house of grace. Uh, the church bought a home, and uh, uh, we, we we take women off the street with children. They're either homeless or near homeless. Uh, let them live there nine to twelve months. Let them go through a program to get their feet back on the ground, save some money, where they can go out and, and, and live life. Linnell just would live over there if I would let her. I mean, she just she just enjoys helping these moms. Uh, went to Mexico not too long ago. Had a wonderful wonderful trip. But when the trip, I mean, know when the trip is over, you're supposed to have some fun. When the trip is over, you're supposed to prop your feet up. You're supposed to watch TV or whatever the case is. They had some extra time, and they heard that there were some widows that were in town. They don't have social services in Mexico like they do in America. So uh, she got the team together. They all chipped in a couple bucks, and they bought enough food to feed 20 widows and their children for the next month. See, these are good works that we do. Uh, hospital, Hospital visits, you know. Since I had my little medical episode several years I don't like to go to the hospital. I just got to be honest. I got to really work myself up to go to the hospital. But, but she goes and sits with people and loves people. Uh, but it's not just things that, you know, people in Christian ministry do. Her sister had surgery last week. And uh, a neck surgery, she'd had an accident. Somebody rear-ended her. And she was in pretty tough shape. So uh, 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 Linnell didn't, uh, you know, hire an Uber to go bring her a McDonald's. She brought her over to our house and made her some chicken soup and took care of her for a few days. This is just the way that she lives. And uh, I want to honor you for the model that you you, you offer to so, so many people. Um, Is that all you wanted me to say? (laughs) Just teasing. Okay, let's flip over to the Old Testament there. Nehemiah. You ever heard of a guy named Nehemiah? He wrote a book in the Old Testament. Nehemiah was a guy that had a great job. He literally, he was called the king's cupbearer, uh, which meant he would sample the drink, whether it was a juice or the wine for the king. He ate at his table. I mean, this guy had it made. But he heard of a need. This was a kingdom need, the kingdom of God. the the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed during the deportation. You remember the exile. Well, now they'd gone back and they'd rebuilt the city, but it didn't have a wall of protection around it. And the people were starting to slip back into their old ways. Well, Nehemiah took a leave of absence from his job. He goes back there. He invests his time, his resources, and sweat equity, helps build the wall. Then he helps the people straighten out, get on right course. He faces adversity. But but after he does all that, this is what he Said it, Nehemiah 13, remember me O oh my God concerning this and don't wipe out my good deeds. Don't wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. That's that third part of that triangle. Advancing the kingdom of God. These are good works and we'll see later that God promises to reward us. In the New Testament Christians are challenged to live this life. Another verse in Titus 3.14, let people learn, and I don't think this comes automatically, we learn to do what? Yeah. See, when I do this, I want you to say it out loud, because you say it out loud, it keeps me awake, it keeps your neighbor awake, and it also helps it get into your brain a little more. Uh, Devote themselves to good works. Being devoted. Whatever you're going to succeed at in life, how many know you have to be committed? Uh, If I were to ask the question, uh, how many want to lose five pounds after Thanksgiving? Uh, Virtually everybody would say yes, but how many will be devoted enough? uh, And now look, it's easy to take the pill on television. Are you with me today? That pill promises me uh, one pill three times a day, and I'm automatically going to lose 10 pounds. I don't know about that. Uh, it seems to me like you cut out cokes, you cut out simple carbohydrates, and you cut down the capa- or how much is on your plate, how big your plate is. If you get a smaller plate, but this is where it gets hard because you cannot put a small, even a small slice of chocolate pie, coconut pie, and pecan pie, along with turkey and dressing and potatoes soaked in butter, drenched, and then with cornbread dressing over the. You just cannot be devoted to good to losing weight and live like that. It's a different lifestyle. And yeah. well, this is what he's saying Christian, devote yourself to good work especially helping cases of urgent need and don't be unfruitful. In other words, he says if you fail to do these things your life in some way is meaningless but you're not living what God has called us. And here's the last little insight into this uh, answering what are good works. Uh, God blesses us to be a blessing to others. Pastor Mike read this scripture in offering today, uh, but I'll read it again. Uh, as for the rich in this present age, don't be haughty or don't, you know, have your uh, nose up in the air thinking you're better than others. Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. More than likely, if you have a 403B plan, it's going to come back in December. If you've been in stocks, it's going to be high. You're going to think everything is great. But let me know what goes up will more than likely come down. I'm not sure what Bible verse that is, but it's been true in my life. But put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So don't ever feel guilty, you know, by being able to do nice things. If you're able to buy your family nice things for Christmas, thank God, do it. But don't stop there. Add verse 19, or verse the rest of 18, do good and be rich in don't just be rich in material things. Nothing wrong with that, but be rich in good works. And how do you do that? You're generous and you're ready to share. So, so this is this is another way that we can be a blessing in a very practical way. We do good. We can do good works is through the vehicle of giving. Now, I want to go back to our text and talk about good works and salvation. Uh, Ephesians two eight and nine. I'll make the statement that good works cannot save us. But people who are saved do good works. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. The Protestant Reformation was built on this scripture. It says, by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, in Martin Luther's day, Martin Luther, remember he nailed his 95 theses to the wall of the church door in opposition to their religion that at the time had become basically built on works. It was built on, you know, uh, you could buy your way into heaven, indulgences and other things. It had become corrupt. And they had lost the simplicity of Scripture. Sola Scriptura. It was the the, the heralding phrase of the Reformation. By grace you're saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Look at verse 9. Not a result of works. You cannot save yourself, so no one may boast. Now, listen to verse 10. It's like a coin that flips over. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good work. Punch your neighbor and say, we're supposed to do good things. We're supposed to do good works. Not too hard. We're supposed to do good work. We're created for good works. Another translation says, God made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. In other words, every genuine Christian, every person that's truly born again, did more than shake the preacher's hand. I mean, no, my handshake will not get you to heaven. What will get you to heaven is to receive Christ as your Savior, repent of your sins, and follow him. But now, so, let me continue with this. Um, good works are the evidence of biblical faith. I fear that uh, the evangelical community uh, has been a voice for salvation through grace it has been a voice for God, the, the, the simplicity of what Christ did on the cross as full payment for our sins but i suggest to you we have so short what genuine believing is believing turns into something if uh, you know if someone sitting next to you started screaming and said and threw their feet up in the air and said this is neat this is neat what would you do my wife, throw her feet up in the air. The rest of you would just run. Why would you do that? Because you believed. But yet so many say, I believe in Christ, and they go on with no change. I suggest it's a false belief. It is an inadequate belief. Better word. James 2.17. Now, now this is so uh, in stark contrast that, uh, uh, to just simply believing uh, it gives fuller definition that Martin Luther didn't want to include the book of James in the New Testament canon. Didn't know why it was there, because he was drawn back to the foundation of believing in Christ. This doesn't just uh, this doesn't undermine that, but it explains it. It, 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 it gives uh, validation to it. James two seventeen, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Which means it's useless. It's empty. It's meaningless. But someone will say, you've got faith and I've got works. Show me your faith apart from your works, which means you can't. I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, the demonstration, the validity that I know Christ is in the way that I live my life. Now, I want to illustrate this with one of our church members, uh, Donna Quarles. Uh, I didn't ask her permission, but you gave it to us before, so I'll do it again. How about that? I've been bragging on you for two services. Uh, Listen to her little short testimony about who she was, what she did, and what she's doing now.
1: About 16 years ago, I had had a long weekend of partying, clubbing, drinking, marijuana, cocaine. Went to work on Monday, and one coworker came and spoke to me about God. She invited me to church, and I accepted. I went a few times, and one particular Sunday, something happened. I felt a touch inside, and I knew God loved me. No matter what I had done, God loved me. I started studying His Word, and then I felt a pull on my life, a calling to do ministry. And from there, God took me into women's prison. I do ministry there. And I know if God can use somebody like me, he can use you too.
0: Give her a big hand. Why don't you stand up, dear? Why don't you stand up? We are very, very proud of you. Jail ministry Thursday nights. And she tells me that there's 30 to 60 women that come. And they don't come to church with lights and videos and all that. They come behind locked doors, not because anybody makes them go, but because there's a hunger for God. And they're meeting Christ and Jesus is turning their life around and they're getting healing from their past brokenness. And many are coming to to church after they get out. But this is a good work. This is God taking someone from a life that was messed up like many of us in this room. Most of us probably were. And rather than taking us in a totally different direction, it kind of builds on that same foundation that probably most of those women in that prison struggle with. And you're telling them how I found my way out. Well, that's what God does. That is a good work. If you look in our lobby or any of our information racks, you will just see literally hundreds of examples of people in our church that are doing ministries, whether it's local outreaches, whether it's on the streets in nursing homes or wherever it is, uh, young adult ministry, our kids, they tell me it takes 300 spots to fill every weekend for what we do for children upstairs. 300 people. They're all good works. Powerhouse, good works. Celebrate recovery. They have 80 to 100 people show up on a Friday night all rejoicing in the fact that Jesus sets me free from whatever my struggles are. Uh, just all sorts of life groups, everything else we're doing. But what, why I share this not as like the receipt. You know, you get a receipt when you go shopping and it's about that long. They expect you not only to know what you purchased to give you a discount, 10% discount the next time you come in, they want you to do a survey, and all that other stuff they're just advertising and promoting. This is not Promotion Sunday, this is simply telling you scores of people in our church are leading the way in good works. And I want to honor them right now. Come on, give them a big hand today. If if you are leading or serving in the church somewhere, I want you to stand up right now. Stand up right now. I want to honor you. If you are leading in the church or serving in any way, come on, now don't be ashamed. Stand up. You lead, you serve, you're involved anywhere in the life of the church. Children, worship, music, men's ministry, anything. God bless you. These are an example of good works. Now let me take the last few minutes and and ask the question, what motivates us to live a life filled with good works? What's the oomph behind why I do this? And I want to suggest three things. The first is the fear of God. The second is a promised reward. And the third is simply it's the way we say thanks. Let's read Revelation chapter 3, and I'm going to kind of bring together this idea of the fear of God because God sees what we do. God sees our works, whether they're good or bad. God sees what we're doing with our life. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel or the leader of the church in Sardis. Now, Revelation was written to seven different churches. One in uh, Asia Minor. One was called Sardis. To this angel or leader of the church, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars. That's a fancy way of saying this is from Jesus. And you know the first thing out of his mouth? What's it say? And you realize in your New King James Bible, that phrase is translated in every church. Jesus said, I know your works. I know what you're doing in terms of helping people. I know what you're doing in terms of advancing the kingdom of God. I know what you're doing in terms of obeying God's commands and staying uh, clean and pure in the world. I know your works. But to this particular church, say, he said, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. In other words, you used to be doing the good works, but somehow you've tapered off. You've plateaued in life. You've slipped backwards, or whatever the case is. I know it, but uh, they were like uh, Pharisees of their day. Outwardly, they looked good, but it was a facade that hid the emptiness of their Christian life. Uh, Verse 3 says this, or 2, be watchful. In other words, be honest. Look in the mirror and be honest with yourself. Take a moment, open your hands like a second grader going to do math, and think about how many good works. What have I done in the last two or three days or the last week? What have I done that the Bible would consider a good work that I'd receive Christ's applause? Be watchful, strengthen the things that remain. If there's only one or two, be thankful for them, but multiply them. Notice what he said, remember how you've received and heard, hold fast, don't lose the two, but repent. In other words, start filling up the other. Let the good works begin flow in your life. If you don't watch Jesus, and this is language of judgment, I'm going to come upon you as a thief. And you'll not know what hour I'm coming upon you. Uh, uh, but then he applauds some. He said, you have a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. In other words, you're living by the commandments. You've not slipped into sin. Uh, That part of the triangle that says there is good works are found in our obedience to God. And here's the reward. They're going to walk with me in white, for they are worthy. It is the biggest decision we make of our life. The first one is, will I follow Christ? And the second is, what kind of follower will I be? Uh, And then he says, verse 5, as you'll find in all these churches... He who overcomes. See, Jesus is never out to just beat us up because of where we are or because we're not where we should be. What he's saying is, get the ball rolling. What he's saying is, make a change, make a choice, and be an overcomer. And here's the reward. You'll be clothed in white garments. This is the purity. And I'll not blot out your name from the book of life, suggesting that some may be but I will confess your name before my father and his angels. Now that's kind of the fear of God part of it but let's shift now a little bit to, not only does God judge evil works but he rewards good works. It is a consistent theme in the New Testament. Do you realize that there are two judgment days in the Bible? The first is in Revelation 20:21 20, about the last uh, the great white throne judgment. Where people are sentenced to heaven, uh, sentenced to heaven, sentenced to hell or welcomed into heaven. But there's another judgment. It is the judgment of the Christian's works. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ. It's not about salvation, it's a judgment of works. And I want you to read how it happens. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3:13. Uh, Each one's work will become manifest. In other words, God will disclose our lives. The Bible teaches that God has recorded what we've done in a book. Uh, The day will disclose it. Judgment day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work one has done. What does that mean? Somehow, God has the capacity to see if it was a good motive, if it was true, if it was right, or if it was wrong. Uh, If I could illustrate it by a fireplace... Maybe you, you went camping, and uh, or maybe you know you built a fire in the fireplace at home, and you put in some boards to get it going. The only thing about it is the boards had nails in them. Well, guess what? You're going to enjoy that warmth of that fire, but after it's over, you get ready to take out the ashes. They're all burned up, but you'll find some nails that survive the fire. And this is what Scripture is saying. When God judges our works, there'll be some much of what we've done with our life will be burned up and gone away forever. But all the handful of nails that were in that board will be rewarded because they're like good works. Verse 14, if the work survives, you'll receive a reward. But if your work is burned up, you'll suffer loss. Now, I don't know what that loss is in terms of going to heaven. The Bible says you'll be saved, but only through the fire. This again, Ephesians underscores it. The Lord will reward each one of us for the good that we do. Now, let me say this to you: Don't be over humble here. It is a biblical uh, concept that good works are rewarded. Uh, My uh, youngest daughter Rebecca is in college, and in her degree, she's having to take organic chemistry, and. Uh, I'm ashamed to tell what Dad made in regular chemistry but uh, many, many moons ago. But she's taking organic chemistry, and she kind of writes this uh, 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 feel-sorry-for-me text uh, one day, and she said, I've been in the library 25 hours this week. And I says, for what? And she said, studying for organic chemistry, one class. And then she comes home over Thanksgiving, she's got a 92 average. Wow, that's a big deal. And uh, I've taught her all her life this. It's a, a maxim by John Maxwell. It says, pay now, play later. And the play is the reward. But if you play now, you'll have to pay later. Because one day, you have to pay. And what I've encouraged my kids to do is don't just live for today. Live with the goal in mind. Because that girl likes to play. She likes to have fun. She likes to have nice things. And honey, they don't give it to you automatically. you got to put in the work to do it. And how many know it's the same way on judgment day? How many want to hear the Lord say, well done to you? Come on, give him a big hand today. (laughs) Well, I'll close with this. Doing good works are not only for the fear of God or a promised reward, but number three, doing good works are how we say thank you to God. And I want you to listen to the words by a man who was formerly named Saul. He was a guy that lived his life. He thought he was doing a good thing. He was a religious Jew, and he went around persecuting and killing Christians. He literally would be standing there when they were stoned to death or martyred because of their faith in Christ. He thought he was doing a good thing, but he was doing a wrong thing. And in in his mercy, God reached down and touched his life and changed him. Many of us, listen, we may not have been murderers, but we were pretty wild and pretty out there. How many can say I was? Well, here's what he wrote. Now, in my perspective, I look at the New Testament. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He, He was responsible for Christianity going around the world. But here's what he said. I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it's all because... God poured out His grace or special favor on me. And this wasn't without results. Now listen to this. I worked harder. I worked harder than all the other apostles. So what does that mean? Committing to live a life of serving God and doing good works is the best way to say thank you what Jesus has done for us. And I don't know about you, but He sure changed my life. And He's sure given me a hope for living, a purpose for today, and a promise of eternal life. And I don't know about you, but that's worthy of a life of living good works. Simply to say thank you for what Christ did on the cross for us. Now I want to wrap up with a scripture in James. James chapter 3, if you are wise... And understand God's ways. Now listen. Much of what you'll hear in secular America is diametrically opposed to what I've told you today. In secular America, they won't talk to you, about, uh, talk to you much about helping people. They won't talk to you a lot about eternity. They won't talk to you about, about uh, living by God's commands. But if you're wise, the Bible said, and you understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life doing good works. And that's what I'm committed to do. How about you? Yeah, give him one more big hand today. He's worthy of praise. This is one of those messages that this is an absolute perfect time to start this. Now, I'm going to share this today, not because I'm trying to get you to sign up for anything today, but because there's an open door of an opportunity to act on this. As a church, we are doing our best to live outside the four walls of the church, except for the weekend. During the weekend, we want to do everything in our power to be have provide as meaningful a spiritual experience to as many people as we can in the walls of this church. But outside of Sunday, we want to do everything in our power to impact people that are out in the world. Well, here's some things happening around here at Christmas where you could... Become a source of good works. Now, all of these, we're going to give a lot of gifts. We're going to give a lot of money. You can give towards that if you want to. It's the easiest way to do a good work. Just write Christmas offering. But we're going to do it whether anyone gives or not. We're going to use our outreach monies to do it. But uh, here's some things that are happening. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but our church, uh, uh, under Pastor Mike's leadership, they go to five different uh, housing complexes every uh, Tuesday and Thursday during the school year. So you've got about 250 kids that are sitting out there. They're having fun. They're, you know, they give them a little something to eat. They play a a game. And then they teach them the Bible just like you used to learn the Bible in Sunday school or the kids are learning in the kids' own. It's just not in the church building. It's out there. Well, at Christmas, we provide little parties for them. And for 250 kids, we'll spend 15 bucks and give them a gift and give them a nice little stocking. And they'll hear the Christmas story. Uh, but you know what? Uh, that's a, there's going to be people that will be uh, putting all that together, shopping, doing all that stuff. Well, that's part of a good work. I think they'll do that next Friday. Nursing homes. Uh, we have two nursing homes that we're involved in. And if you want to find some perspective on life, allow yourself to be around. Take your children around an elderly person that used to be just as vital and vibrant as you are today and let them see what the end of life looks like and perhaps compassion will be stirred there. Project Hope, uh, 15 families we're adopting in our community that are either homeless or near homeless. Uh, Gifts for missionaries, we got a slew of them. We generally send them all either from $100 to $250, $300 just to bless them. Uh, Coat drive, of course that's bringing good coats. Prison ministry, um, giving Bibles to people that are in jail. Uh, helping the homeless. We'll put together little bags that have toiletries, socks, gloves, hats, and other things like that. All of those things involve activity if you want to do the activity part or money if you want to do the money part. And again, I'm not asking you to sign up for anything today. I just want to tell you there's an opportunity in this holiday season to let your good works just begin to do that. And once you get the ball rolling, guess what happened? You'll find it'll become a way of life. And one day you'll stand before Jesus. Come on, and the books are open. And that great day when Christians are not judged for heaven or hell, but when we're judged for our works, it'll take a long time going over our lives because we've been committed to follow him as the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll say, well done. Come on, good and faithful servant. And I don't know about you, but I'm living for that day. Huh? Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. I want you stand to stand your, to, your, to your feet today. Hey, it's been good. Glad you came today. Honored to have you with us in this Thanksgiving weekend. And we'd like to close this way. We're going to have a song. And unless there's just an emergency, I want to ask you to stay until that song's over because people are going to be having a, a prayer time. They're going to be connecting with God. In just a moment, uh, uh, when they begin to sing, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come to the front, and they'll be here to pray with you. If there's anything that you need in your life, maybe someone that you care about, someone that you know is in trouble, we'll pray about anything. But a, a really important prayer for those of us that are here today that are honest enough to say that you're not 100% sure that if you died today or this week, whether you go to heaven or hell. I want to tell you this, friends. There's a good God that loves all of us. and The Bible said is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. I want to tell you the Bible says the reason for our death and judgment is because of our sin. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But yet there's good news that the gift of God is eternal life. And that's what I'm talking about. How do I receive this gift of eternal life? Let me suggest your friends, it cost you nothing but it cost you everything. This is how we were born. If that cross represents Jesus and all that he stands for, we were born walking this way. It's called, we're a sinner, we're going in the way of Adam, we're selfish. My little grandson, as much as he conveys that he loves me, when I ask him for a blueberry, he tells me no. I mean, where does that come from? It's a sinful nature and it gets worse as they get older. Well, sometime in life, every person typically has the opportunity to look back to the Christ of the cross. Perhaps you're here like I am, fortunate enough to believe in God. You're not an atheist or an agnostic. But even if you're an atheist or agnostic, you'll have an opportunity when someone talks to you about a God who loved me so much that He died on the cross to be a substitute for my sins. The cross represents judgment. And it's my sins that are the problem. And the Bible says that Jesus took my sins and nailed them to the cross. That having been said, nothing happens until I stop and turn. And it is this place of turning the Bible calls repentance in which we believe in Christ and follow Him. And maybe that's the step you need to make. Maybe you believe in God, but you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Maybe you tried to find happiness walking this way. Listen, it's all out there. It's everywhere. It's anything from relationships to success to money to drugs to alcohol to whatever it is. It's all that out there. But it doesn't satisfy. You have to wake up in the morning and do it again. Jesus fills that God-shaped hole in our life. Maybe you're here today and you carry the weight and the burden of sin, the shame, the guilt. I understand that. Jesus can wash it away. Jesus no longer looks at the Christian as a sinner. Jesus looks at us as have been washed cleaned by his blood that was shed on the cross friend perhaps you're here today and you want to make a step to God I made this step August 15th 1976 you say how do you know that I was there I remember when I turned my life to Christ and it changed me forever if you're here today and say pastor that's what I need I'm ready to get my life right with God friend let us pray for you For some, it may be the first time you've made this commitment to Christ. For others, you might have walked with Christ before, but walked away. Got tangled up in the world. But today, you want to come back and recommit your life to Christ. Either way, when they start singing this song, we're going to ask you to just slip out of your chair and come to the cross and let somebody pray for you. I'm telling you this, don't let anything keep you away. People will see you. They'll be proud of you. They'd clap your hands if we made time from it. But there's something powerful About walking towards Christ, a step away from the past. Walking towards the newness that he offers. We'll be there to pray for you. Go ahead and begin to sing, guys. They're going to sing our last song. Our our prayer team is coming to the front. And uh, if you want to commit your life to Christ, I hope you'll make your way to the cross. Wednesday night will be a night of nothing but worship, prayer, and drawing close to God. I hope you'll be a part of that. Go ahead and begin to sing. Prayer team, come to the front. And uh, I hope you'll make that step to Christ today. I love you and thanks for coming.